everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Well, hey, everybody. We got Wayne and Mark and Areeb and Lisa and then our special guest, Gwen. And it's Gwen Bale. And you're seeing her Facebook page, I believe, on the screen right now, as well as our um, our webcams. And um, there she is with a, uh, with a, a, I don't think that's a chicken, by the way. I think that's another kind of a, of a creature. Um, but anyway, um, we're going to talk about Gwen and, and her love and concern and care for chickens and people and all kinds of fun things. But before we get started, if you wouldn't mind, ask us some questions. There are going to be a bunch of you watching live. There are going to be a bunch of you watching on replay and ask questions. So even if you're on replay, if you ask a question, we'll make sure we get it to Gwen and get an answer for you. may not be immediately, but sometime in the near future after um, you watch and you send a question, we will get it answered. So please don't be shy. Let your fingers do the talking. And if you want to be unmuted and actually live, ask the question of Gwen. Just raise your hand. There's a little, little, little knob you can push on and it'll cause you to raise your hand and then we can unmute you and we'll let you talk. So all that said, Gwen, how are you today? Oh, just wonderful. Enjoying a phenomenal spring day. Nice weather, fun out with the chickens. Cool. Well, that's going to be what I start with, which is why this love for chickens? Give us a little bit of your history as it relates to chickens and why they're in your life. Um, I didn't even ever hold a chicken until I was in my mid-60s. I had no background whatsoever with farms. I did have an aunt that I think I vaguely remember visiting about an hour away that had a couple chickens, but I was really little. Um, but my husband and I always liked to cook and we liked Martha Stewart's program and she started bringing chickens into the studio and um, it just kind of clicked. It's just I'm very into sustainability. I was a master gardener for quite a few years before I got into the ch whole chicken thing and gave that up because of time. And, you know, love to, to can and, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, once I retired, I was a nurse midwife for the last 28 years of my 40 years as a nurse and on call in the office, working at least probably 120 hours a week. So there was no way or time to do anything much except love what I did and delivered over 2,000 babies all in the hospital and whatever. So, but anyway, I got real interested in the fact that I didn't really need a farm. I'm sure Martha Stewart, as wonderful as she is, never ever cleaned a chicken coop even. But, you know, it was like, I only want four hens. I, that, that would be perfect. And of course I found out it was totally illegal in my town, they were barnyard animals. 
So initially, I did a lot of reading. I started taking online webinars uh, because I just couldn't even go to council meetings. I couldn't be involved enough to to drop what I'm doing and go to a council meeting if I'm in labor with a patient, with a woman in labor. So um, once I retired, gave myself a couple more months to just kind of chill out and started looking into it. And our green team got a little bit involved, but they just didn't have the patience and perseverance to continue it. So actually my entire journey to change the law in my town of 15,000 people, typical suburb, uh, across the bridge from Philadelphia, probably takes us about 10 minutes to get to the bridge. Uh, and so we're in South Jersey. And um, finally, it, I started working enough to get a backyard pilot program passed uh, in 2015. But it was actually during the time of doing that kind of work, probably maybe two years into it, that I actually ever even held a chicken. But I just love them. Um, I love what they can do. I love how smart they are. I have so many stories I could tell you about how many how smart they are. But just the joy that they bring to people when people realize they're not loud, stinky animals. And um, it's just a very big part of our life. Um, not only having them, not only having the wonderful eggs, not the wonderful use of backyard extra scraps that are not in the waste stream that way because they can eat some of that and make great fertilizer and uh, just bring us joy. They're so much fun. And that's where we are. So we had our pilot program. We would have only had it for two years, but we did want some changes. And the mayor agreed that we could have the changes, but let's keep it a pilot till we're sure, because we had a lot of opposition here. Uh, people just didn't know, they didn't wanna learn. We even tried a couple um, events where we invited town people to come and just learn about what it would be having backyard chickens in our town. And the only people that showed up were people that wanted to have chickens. None of the quote anti-chicken people even bothered to come. So they had their mind made up. And uh, so that was kind of difficult. And, and so we did keep it for the extra year. And since 2018, it's been a full ordinance. We don't have problems. We currently have 27 homes with backyard hens. And, um, and now I've actually helped 29 towns altogether change their law. So that's what I've been doing. Very cool. Um, what would your guess be? Just a guess, obviously, of how many people in your town are doing it illegally. Oh, we don't have any that we know of. And we know we didn't have any when we started. That was a really important thing. We knew that. We actually had three families about just about two summers ago, I guess, that um, I, I don't know the actual problem. I don't know whether they just thought they could get away with it um, and didn't um, or whether they didn't know we had rules and they knew we were having chickens in town. Uh, but the first one turned out that um, it was not one of ours and they had a rooster and they sent the police officer out and he said they had to rehome the rooster. But everybody gets along so well with council and I, one of my best friends is the chief of police here that they contacted us and said, well, they have four really nice hens. So we just made sure, yes, they rehomed the rooster and we had, we have to take a class. I teach the class 
And I think that's one of the things that makes the program so successful, that people really know what they're getting into. Don't try to scare them, but tell them everything that they could possibly need to know. It's a three-hour class that I teach, and most towns mandate it. And so we, they took the class, we went and checked out their coop, made sure it was all predator-proof, followed our guidance in our ordinance, so they became legal. The second one actually turns out that she was about 10 houses away from me on the corner. And um, right between us is the current chair of our program. And her neighbor told her, the woman down on the corner has, has chickens out in the front yard and they're not supposed to be in the front yard, they're backyard chickens. So Suzanne already found out about it. My neighbor on the other side who loves my chickens and I give her a lot of eggs, she's, she texted me, there's chickens out in the front yard down the street. So same deal. Um, they only had four hens, too. So they took the class and got legal. But probably the funniest story was that we, of course, like a lot of towns, we have a Facebook page. And somebody who actually is a realtor posted on there and said, I have a large garden and I need somebody to water my garden over the summer or the couple weeks they were going on vacation. And he said, and would and they would have to take care of my chickens like he didn't think the eight people on the chicken board are on the town Facebook page. I mean, you know, we share information, we do events. So we contacted them and they took the class and they're legal. So to our knowledge, there are no illegal chickens here. Awesome. Um, I was laughing at the, the, the how obvious the, the, chick, the Facebook page would have been for people. Um, so you've gone now and it's up to 29 towns. And I actually even told you about somebody I knew in Northern New Jersey yesterday that has had city council background. And, and your comment was, that's a, you know, that's a long way away, um, and, but still in the same state. Does the state have any, does the state of New Jersey specifically have any regulations that's, that towns have to follow or do they give towns yeah. independence in terms of making their own rules? No, this, the state of New Jersey did make it um, so that nobody can um, refuse somebody who wants to have bees, a beehive, because of the pollinator situation. So they are supposed to register with the state, but no town can say, no, you can't have bees here. But that there's no, I don't think there'll ever be a way that it'll pass, that it'll be a state requirement or even a county requirement because I guess it's a lot like the whole United States, not every town's gonna feel the same way. And dealing with the types of towns that I have, and I mean, I've dealt with them all and I can get into some of the specifics, but I really don't think there's another town in New Jersey that's so different from the ones who passed the ordinance. Um, we started out, I mean, my, my yard or my um, town is a typical suburb. Um, the town next to us, uh, which only has less than 5,000 people in it, um, they uh, actually skipped having a pilot and we just had an ordinance. I was, and I'm still on their backyard chicken board um, for that little town. And then we started working with a couple towns that had farms. They, they had miles and miles and miles of um, town in these big, big townships, including bunches of farms. And as long as the town realized, we don't care what the farmers do. If they're doing it right, if they're um, disposing of waste properly and friendly for the environment and doing everything with the Right to Farm Act and all that, 
We don't care about them. This is backyard chickens. This is the suburbs. This is the little communities. And then we had success in three counties in Camden, which is where I live, in Burlington County and in Gloucester County, where there were farms. And that was it. They were farms. They did their thing. We got it passed just specific for the average community. Um, and then um, we actually had it passed in a couple very, very wealthy um, towns around here, Haddonfield. And then this was kind of a funny story. Haddonfield was a, a dry town. They had blue laws um, up until really recently. And they had a town they had an area on one side of the town that had a country club and the country club wanted to serve alcohol. So they broke away and they actually have about eight, eight houses in that town. And once Haddonfield changed their law, which is about a year, a year in December, I think it's been, um, a gentleman who actually runs the country club wanted chickens. So he called me and he said, um, you know, we do, we share services, everything pretty much, the schools, the fire department, because they have eight houses, eight multi-million dollar houses in this little town. And he said, so do you think I'll be allowed to have chickens at the country club um, because of that connection? And I said, no, you better check. So we checked and, and they, they're tiny, tiny little council. I don't even know how that could possibly run when you only have eight houses, but anyway, um, they said, well, I don't know. And then they said, well, we'll make our own ordinance. So they pretty much copied the Haddonfield one. But the funniest thing is, and I can actually say this, which drives me crazy, it's so much fun, that they made it so that 10 licenses can be given out in Haddonfield. So that is the only town that I know of where there is a license available for every single house in a community because they only have eight houses and they have 10 licenses. So that, you know, so we went from that extreme. So we've crossed all the limits, standard when it comes to economics, when it's come to education, home values, the whole nine yards. We've, we've, we've done that. We've changed the law in those towns. So it just blows my mind where, you, you know, somebody will say, can you come to council and, and talk about backyard chickens? And they, they feel like, you know, their town is that different. It's not that different. If we can make this work. And I follow up with these towns. I tend, I try to contact um, either the head of their little chicken group or even their municipal clerk about once a year. Are you having problems? Are you having a lot of complaints? Yeah, there aren't any. Everything is working so well. And this has now been going on for eight to nine years, give or take. And so I don't know. It's, it's frustrating that some people are just so hard headed that they, um, they won't listen to reason, they won't look at other town statistics, they just say no. And I have lost, I guess, about six or seven places where regardless of how much we tried, it, a lot of it is the NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard. And one mayor in the town right next to us, no way, I'm not, I didn't buy this house thinking I was gonna have chickens here. And I don't think, and he's been mayor for like 30, 35 years or something, I don't think nothing, anything will happen there until he's not a mayor anymore because the other two council people always vote the same way. So if he says he's not gonna have them, they're not ever gonna get chickens. Gwen, um, Gwen loves this. Do you guys, do you guys sense that? Um, you can see how much, how, how much passion she has. What, um, this is really an interesting one. Have any, are you aware of any 
locations where a person was approved by whatever the local regulation was to have chickens. And so they then had them. And then that home sold. Most of these towns allow the chicken permit to go along to the new owner, or does the new owner have to apply? And then right. if they do, if they do, do you think it either increased or decreased property value? Because okay. I'll tell you the way that towns would start accepting this like back and you know every day is if it was that they increased property values. If somehow there were sales that occurred where a neighborhood house that had chickens sold for more money than the next door neighbor who didn't, everybody'd be wanting to have chickens permits approved in their neighborhoods because the house values were going up. Um, yeah, the, the only the only time that from your first part of the question, if somebody actually gets a variance to have chickens, um, you know, that's a way that people can do it. If if it's illegal and um, they want to spend money, I know somebody that it spent they spent three thousand dollars to go to planning and zoning because they had to get the architect to put the drawing where they have just like if you were putting a big a whole new addition on your house. And had to go and and you only get a small amount of the money back if they say no you can't have it um so i discourage people from doing that because yeah, yeah granted you might have the money to do that but this is also an economic issue and i'm very into um everybody having a chance to do this and you know if everybody had to get variances we would have hardly any chickens but a variance does stay with the house so if the next person moved in and wanted to have them, they wouldn't have to do anything. Now, I'm talking um, New Jersey, and I'm also reminding people I'm not an attorney. I'm a nurse. Okay, I learned a lot along the way. Back to the, back to the first half of my question. A variance would transfer. But how about just the fact that I have chickens, I am permitted, I'm selling my house. Will the new person have to get the same, another permission? Sure. They'd have, and, and in our area, um, they'd have to take the class and everything else. I mean, even though the person selling the house might be leaving the chicken coop, um, I do have somebody from our town. Um, actually, she was a veterinarian, and she moved because she got a little bit more acreage, kind of a small format, you might call it, and left um, was had the coop, and the person moving in was bought it because it already had a chicken coop, but they had to go through the whole process. They had to still take the class. They had to have us go and check because maybe the coop could have been become a little dilapidated over the time and might need some extra wiring. And, you know, because we make sure it's predator proof. These are pets to us. The most we can have in my town is eight hens and no roosters because of the suburbs. We can't have roosters cock-a-doodle doing whenever they want. It would really not work. Um, so, you know, we still had to go check everything out. And so there is the one house that went from one person to the next, but they had to go through the whole procedure. But yeah, the house on the other side of me, um, uh, geez, it was a few years ago now, but I think it sold for about 18000 to $20,000 more than the asking price because there was a, 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 a war, how, whatever the, that you call that, with four or five families that wanted the house and they all knew I had chickens next door and it just kept going up and going up and going up. So it certainly has not been proven to decrease the cost of um, the housing values. I don't know how much it increases, 
but some people, you know, I'm sure my coop, my current coop, I had built by a builder for my 70th birthday because I'm 74 and a half. And um, it would be a pretty hard thing to, to probably take down. It's really the, the beams are down in the cement and all. But, you know, with the way it is and, and people so interested in chickens, I wouldn't be surprised that that the house wouldn't have a problem selling because they already have a really, really nice coop in the backyard that they wouldn't have to build. So, Gwen, I have a friend who has goats. And one of the things that he does with a, a small number of his goats is um, rents the herd out. So let's say four or five young goats to yoga instructors who want to be doing goat yoga. and the, the the they won't that won't be on his own his property he will take the goats to wherever the yoga instructor is and he tells them you know you have you may have permitting that you need to get and and it's up to you i i don't do anything with that how about chickens in the same way would would your ordinances allow a person who was doing a chicken therapy session like a goat yoga session or a, or a chicken yoga session, be allowed to have chickens there temporarily for the chicken yoga session, for example? Well, I've never heard of chicken yoga. I've certainly heard of goat yoga. Um, around here, we actually had, because um, goats are still illegal, they, we only change the law for chickens. And once in a while, somebody says, well, can you fix it so we can have ducks in sight? No, I did my thing already. So if you want to do that, that's on you. Um, but I mean, I did story time um, in a couple houses down uh, for their one of the kids. Um, and they had maybe a half a dozen kids come. And I did, brought, took a chicken, took Sadie with me, I think it was and um, did chicken story time in their backyard um, and that kind of thing. But that's probably as much as we do. And I think right now, too, there's really the concern about avian flu. So um, it's really, uh, things are a little bit tougher. I mean, the second grade class from the school a half a block away always came up um, in maybe three or four groups because it was the entire second grade and they studied chickens at the end of the year. And they came up and we had a grand old time and we let the chickens out and you know they could pet them and all that stuff. But we really have to limit the amount of extra people in our backyards right now because of avian flu. We have not had it close to us. There's been three cases up way up in North Jersey and one in Monmouth County um, but we do have a lot of waterfowl, um, about four blocks from a river that's loaded with geese and the whole bit. So we're very, very careful. I just don't have visitors or I'll give them shoe covers to put over their shoes because I don't know where their shoes have been. They might have been stepping in goose poop that's contaminated with avian flu. And, um, and you can actually, you know, one of the things that, that I teach in the class is even if you get new chickens, you need to isolate them, or it's recommended that you isolate them for 30 days from your current flock because it takes that amount of time for them to be comfortable with you that you're not a predator and therefore let down their defenses and they may be sick. They might have some kind of respiratory infection. So even if it's a real easy going flock that you have and they seem like they'll be fine with a couple new ones, they could make the entire original flock sick. So we're um, pretty strict about the biosecurity part of that. And if we take, if we um, chicken right. sit, 
um, for like my neighbor or whatever, I have a total different pair of shoes I've never worn anywhere um, around my chickens that I leave at her house so I don't have to worry about shoe covers. I change my clothes before I go because the chickens that you have in your yard are used to the germs in your in your yard like we're used to the germs in our house. So if you take your germs of your chickens down there, then there is a chance that they could get sick. So I'm kind of fussy about that. Sounds good. We have. I have about a hundred different questions here, so we're gonna. I if I cut you off sometime, it's not because I don't really like the answer. That's I like. fine. It's mainly because you talk, you you go on, and, and your passion is there. I I just have a whole bunch of other questions. All right, that you got it. I'll keep it short uh, and sweet. Oh, yeah, we'll keep them just a little shorter. What's the most common misconception? Because I'm sure you have to deal with this with these councils that people have about chickens that you keep at a home. What's the common, what is the something that they, oh, you know, I'll give you one here in Colorado. Um, I used to own an outdoor adventure resort and they would ask at what elevation do the deer turn into elk? And there were literally people that believed that deer turned into elk. That's a misconception. So what's a really weird misconception about chickens? I, I think the, the biggest one is since they know that we're not allowed to have roosters, they think we don't have eggs that you can't have eggs unless you have roosters. And I always tell them women have eggs every month when they're reproductive age. Nothing happens to that egg unless there's a guy around. So we still have eggs, chickens still have eggs, they're just not fertilized. But they they you know they they still think well it's gonna be loud because there'll have to be roosters. So you can't be talking about breakfast eggs. Yes we are um what about um this is a personal one because I think I've told you my story. I have lots of chickens and I live on a, a, a farm. So there, there's a different sort of ordinance and such, but a lot of our chickens have names and most of them do. And I think maybe my wife would say all of them do. Um, they are very, they're, they're just like our pets, um, just like our dogs and cats and other things that we have. Um, how do they interact in many cases with other pets? What's been your experience? So dogs, cats, other things that people might have. Um, well, I think most of the time you have to worry about cats more if you have chicks because they're going to think they're toys and they might, if they get near the brooder, they could be batting them around like toys. Um, I don't have cats, but I know people who do. And normally the cats are afraid of the chickens, but dogs are different. And we've been very lucky. We've only had two dogs the entire time we've had chickens. And the first one we had, who I've seen pop up on some of these pictures, her name was Freckles, and she actually went totally blind about the last, she was eight when she died, and I guess about the last three or four years. And she was fine from the very beginning. And I one of my favorite pictures somewhere up on, uh, on the Facebook page has her laying um, on the pavers uh, by my deck steps. I'm sitting on the steps. And Sadie, who was my world's most wonderful, therapy hen is standing right on freckles uh, and freckles probably really thought that she was getting a, a massage because the chicken was on her back and that was really really special and both her and and freckles both died a couple years ago but now we have desi and she's an australian cattle dog rescue and she's the same way we'll go outside and she's not hurting them and i don't mean hurt with a t i mean even d 
hurting them. Um, but she'll go out and a couple of the chickens will take treats right out of my husband's hand and the dog at the same time. Two heads of a chicken and a dog in my in the hand. So we've been very fortunate. But there's certainly people that have to make sure their dog isn't out there when the chickens are out in the yard or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think they kind of know their chickens or their dogs, too. Um, but, you know, I mean, there was a little bit of squawking when they first met Desi and she but she doesn't she happens to not be a barker of a dog either. So that was fortunate. But, yeah, you just have to be careful, I think, and, and make make you can certainly have chickens, even if your dog isn't happy about it. But you have to be really cautious. Let's talk about the therapy side a little bit, because I am sure you've got your own therapy that you've seen benefits for for yourself and your husband and your family. But what have other people told you also? What are the therapeutic benefits? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think the whole thing is to actually know what a therapy hen is. And that means we do the exact same work as therapy dogs. They're not emotional support animals, even though um, they certainly um, we love holding them. And a couple of them will just jump up right on our laps and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's just the way they are. And, um, but, you know, the thing with therapy and one, I think it's kind of a bad term. Um, that's, I learned about them when I was taking all those classes that it was an advanced class. So I am a certified handler. The difference between dogs and, and chickens are that the handler gets certified with chickens, not the individual chicken. But we know our hens. We know the ones that seem to like to be held and picked up and whatever. And then I work with them for at least a month or so and um, reinforce not to peck. So my hens don't peck anybody. They don't care who's holding them. I have three of my eight that are my regular therapy hens. Um, and it just it's just more than therapy per se it just brings some joy into their li lives we love to go to assisted living and memory care units we've um had i had an elderly man who was not even able to talk anymore and the nurse said no he'll appreciate holding the hen and i'm trying to see how he is with that and i'm using all my nursing skills and he started crying and she said that's because he had chickens when he um, when he was younger. And, and yeah, we're bringing we're kind of connecting those synapses, I think, between bringing back wonderful memories. And, and he, the only way he really could demonstrate that, I guess, he just had tears in his eyes. But it doesn't matter if we visit younger children. We're actually part of the Academy of Natural Sciences Autism Program. So they open an hour early for families with um, kids and even young adults on the spectrum. So um, and since chickens are relatives of dinosaurs, they put us in Dinosaur Hall and then we'll stay for a few hours. So we'll educate people about the same um, traits that dinosaurs and DNA that dinosaurs and chickens have. But um, it's just remarkable to see, um, especially autistic kids, because they don't have any form of reference. Kids around here don't have grandparents that had farms with chickens. So they're pretty non-threatening. Meanwhile, the dog down the street barked at them. So now they're petrified of all dogs, but they don't have a form of reference. So unless they're scared of birds in general, They'll generally start out with the one finger touching kind of thing and then progress. And the more they see us, if we go back every couple months and sometimes they come back, sometimes they'll actually wind up sitting down and holding the chicken. 
so it's 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 more like interaction it's more like um bringing joy bringing some something different to their day when they're in a nursing home 24 hours a day than actually calling it therapy like a therapist would actually do i think but we love it and uh have done up to almost 200 visits in a year and traveled over 2,000 miles. And there's one picture that's up there now. Um, we do story time in five counties of New Jersey. So we do both stories where they're sitting on my lap and I don't even have to hold them. They'll just stay there and I'm reading stories. Or we do the program like they do with dogs where the kids can use their reading skills and read to the chicken. And they make appointments for like 15 minute appointments. And the little child will sit on the floor right in front of us. And I'll say, oh, there's red on that picture. Chicken's favorite color is red. Turn the picture around so Sadie can see it. And, you know, so we interact and then they can pet the chicken and all that. But, you know, it's just uh, so much fun. It's just remarkable fun. Cool. Um, what, this is one that, that has always been an issue with people that I've known, at least about, how do you handle ones that, that you've got in a therapy situation, or you just got them in your house with you for a short period of time or longer, and, and the, when they poop, and can chickens be house trained, or, or uh, trained where they're not going to go, or can you predict how they're going to go? And and then when they do, it's usually kind of a runny sort of a thing. It's not it's not solid. Um, what's what's the best way to clean it up? Um, the best thing is um, first of all, um, even my therapy heads live outside. Um, granted, I have a gigantic kitchen, and I use what's called what I call um, a, a big hamster cage. Not like the cage that's up there right now. I take use those when we're going and doing outside events, but it's one of those long plastic bottoms with the wire top. So a lot of times we'll have an early morning visit and I'll bring in whoever I'm going to take off the roost after they've settled down. It's easier. Scoop them up, bring them in, put them in the cage, food and water, blah, blah, blah. But in the morning, they get their feet washed. If they're going to an elderly person, they get a manicure, especially to make sure their nails aren't sharp, and they get their diaper on. I have chicken diapers, and you put a wad of toilet paper in there, so that catches a lot, especially if it's loose. So when you're all done, you flip that, that part right into the toilet, and then the diapers can be washed in a little fabric bag, and they last a long time. They're mostly Velcro. Um, I just taught uh, a class for certifying handlers uh, last Sunday, I guess. And I guess we had nine people there. And I took um, Lizzie with me. And um, so, I mean, I took the diaper off that she had on, put a new diaper on just to show them. Probably in 15 seconds, I had the diaper on Lizzie. And they're used to it. They really don't have a problem with that. It is funny, the first time you put it on, they walk backwards. Every single chicken I ever had that I use for therapy and put diapers on, they walk backwards around in circles for a little bit, but they're used to it and it doesn't bother them. I take an extra one just in case. Usually if we're going to be somewhere for more than two hours, I'll just routinely change it. So that's how we deal with the poop thing. Awesome. And they won't, the chickens, it, will they try to scratch them off? A dog, for example, and we raise dogs and have three that live with us in the house, no, four that live with us in the house. And when a female comes into season, so ours are all are uh -huh. all are house trained, but when a female comes into season, there's going to be 
some bleeding. And, and so we do try to put some kind of a diaper on. And the diapers are good and they're reusable and they're cleanable. And you do the same kind of a thing with, with Kleenex you, as you described. But a smart dog can scratch them off <laughs> um, pretty easily. And will a chicken also do that? I haven't, haven't had it happen. I mean, they, they are kind of designed, the front part almost looks like a pinafore. And the, uh, there's a brand that I really like. And they're about 30, 35 hours, but they last forever. So that's attached to what looks like bra straps. So you can actually adjust the, the, the length of them depending on the shape of the chicken. And that goes over their head and that's attached to a piece of Velcro. Meanwhile, you have the bag part that comes under them because it's attached to the pinafore. And um, so that has another piece of Velcro. So the one on the back goes under, boom. So the Velcro, I think, makes it, it's tough enough that they can't do it. They can't kind of bend their head around back enough to do it. And uh, I have one chicken that kind of likes to play that she, I think she's trying to undo the other chicken's actual um, diaper because she'll click around with the Velcro if they're both in the same cage together. But I've never had one take the diaper off. So... Um... Uh, a question from the audience. Aaron asks, uh, and Aaron's actually one of our staff, and I know what her interest in dinosaurs is. She's a geologist, and she would love to, to be at dinosaur dig areas, for example. But anyway, she said, please mention some of the cool traits. And, and she says the cool traits that chickens and dinosaurs share. Okay, well, the five that they taught me when um, I first started um, being doing what we do and going to it's called access to science is of course the feet look like T-Rex feet and it's I think it's really fun because when I pick up my chickens they'll hold my finger like a baby they'll clip their claws around my finger so everybody thinks that's really kind of cool so one's the feet the other thing is they have a breastbone another thing is their bones are like straws they have absolutely no bone marrow or anything that's why they're so light and they can fly so the, um, the dinosaurs that could fly was because of that. Um, their eggs have hard shells, just like dinosaur eggs. And then there were chicken, there were dinosaurs that have feathers. And of course they can analyze the DNA of the feathers and say that dinosaur had black feathers, brown feathers, white feathers. So um, I'll point everything out on the chicken when we're there. And, and um, you know, everybody, of course, I. So many kids are just so into dinosaurs. I think that's like makes their day. I actually have one shirt that says I train um, baby dinosaurs or something like that. And it's a chicken on the front. So when I do that kind of stuff, I kind of try to dress the part. I have my therapy hen shirt on today. I will tell you what I think is a misconception about chickens that also is somewhat related to dinosaurs is because we have so many and they're free range and they're just everywhere uh, out and around is they would much rather eat a mouse, they could get one, than they would anything else. They, they are, they could be carnivores. I mean, they are, Oh yeah, they they're definitely carnivores. carnivores. Mine love like leftover meat. And Desi has to I, share it once in a while. We had him eat leftover meat. But, but I don't right. know, mine are so, mine are such prima donnas. If you give them a bigger piece of, oh, if I get, they like blueberries. If I just give them a blueberry, there's a couple that'll hope to take the blueberry. The other ones want me to squish it, and then they'll take. It. I mean, well, you know, they, they, there's no way they would, no way they would eat a mouse. They won't eat a whole blueberry without it being squished. 
<laughs> That's funny. So um, what about what you would say, and this is probably things that you would be asked at a council meeting about uh, sustainability. So, um, you know, let's say I was a council person that was arguing and said these dirty things and all they're going to do is is create more carbon dioxide and, you know, and whatever, mis you know, I think potentially misconception, but what are sustainability elements of a chicken? Uh, well, num number one, I mean, you know, granted, I wouldn't give them a piece of totally rotten lettuce that was left in the back of the kitchen that you couldn't find, but that kind of not so crispy one that you don't really want in your own salad, they love that stuff. So in a lot of cases with food waste being of the highest percentage of stuff that people throw away, and we all know there is no away, um, is food. So if you can make use of a lot of the stuff that you have, I mean, there's some things they shouldn't have, like onions. They don't, they lack the enzyme to break down the one component that's in onions, so it's not good for them. And citrus and candy, but I'm not going to share my candy with them anyway, so that's okay. But you know, so a lot of the food waste stuff, you're decreasing the the the, the fees that the town has to pay for the the trash and whatever, since most towns don't collect like. They should be collecting garbage. When I grew up, there were garbage trucks and you put your garbage out. Nobody knew anything about composting, but it didn't go to the same place as the trash did. They technically were way ahead of their time when I was a kid 74 years ago. Um, but anyways, it's, it decreases the fees to the township, number one. Number two, at least their waste can be composted. So whatever kind of bedding that you're using can go right in the composter. Takes about eight weeks or so, so that it's not so hot that it's going to burn your plants. Um, and dog waste can't. I mean, we allow dogs. Dogs weight make a whole lot more, um, you know, in in poundage of of dog feces, and you can't do anything with it but put it in the trash in a plastic bag because you've had to collect it to put it in the plastic bag. So most of my stuff goes right into my composters. I do have one little area that when I'm, I use, cause I use straw in my run and, and um, I do the deep litter method in the winter time with the, the um, wood chips. And in the summer I use PVC. So they both, everything can get composted, but I do have put some in the back and break it down more and then use it in, um, for, in my flower beds and all that kind of stuff. So, and no, I don't think the carbon dioxide's any kind of issue. And most people that have backyard chickens don't use any kind of artificial um, fungicides and, and pesticides and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff or, um, or fertilizers in bags that come from the oil industry and have all of the terrible stuff in them that can really cause issues because we can use what the chickens give us. So it's an added benefit. The eggs are really a small part of it, really. Um, I think everything else involved with them and, and, and they do my work. The older I get, it's really cool. Here's a bunch of stuff. Get in there and stir it around for me. Half the time, because I have four or three um, composters and two of them are square. And we lift the bottom up and it's like, okay, where's Nellie? I know she's inside the composter she'll get in there and start working it and kicking it out she's doing all the work it's really wonderful i mean they're they're very good but i think a lot of it i think if, if nothing else just the whole idea that not so much stuff's going out in our trash since everything's together pretty much anymore um, makes it cost effective 
my wife is a, uh, a huge gardener. I know many others, and, and we're talking market farm size. So we have about a half an acre, and that's a that's a big um, garden area. And our chickens literally, there's a group of them that live in the garden, and they get rid of bugs, um, and they get rid of a number of things. Now some of them will. You know, deal, you know, peck into some of the fruits as they start to occur. So she actually moves them around a little. But she is convinced that her chicken compost is the best compost that she has. And she has compost from a variety of different kinds of animals. So, uh, yeah, I mean, great. I love it. And, you know, and, and the same with leaves. I mean, you know, if I have very little grass in even in the front yard, and um, I will let it after, other than a couple times a year, I'll collect some of it and because I'll put it back for the chickens. But then I don't put any because I feel like I'm fertilizing what little I have. But I keep planting micro clover and making more and more flower beds and stuff like that and less and less grass. But leaves, I mean, the same thing. They break down the leaves and, and you're getting wonderful um, leaf mold out of them for the garden. It's, it's just, just so perfect. It's the way it ought to be. It's awesome. Mason asks a great question here for you, Gwen. What kind of shelter do chickens need in winter? Um, and how tolerant are they of cold temperatures? Oh, they actually do way, way better than the, in the winter than the summer. Summers in South Jersey are notorious for the horrific heat and humidity. So it's not that dry heat that some people have. We have to actually work way harder in the summer um, I have um, on a, two fans that go one in either direction kind of thing for extra ventilation in the chicken coop. Um, and I have to put ice bottles inside their water. But chickens are raised all over the world, except in, um, except in the Arctic and Antarctica. So way, way higher up north than we are. And they're fine. If you build the right size coop, um, their body temperature is 104 compared to our 98.6. And just this, this one picture that's up now, they cuddle together, so they're helping to keep each other warm. And um, and mine, mine would even, they're not mine, that's just a stock photo, but um, mine look at me like I'm crazy if there's a quarter of an inch of snow, like you expect me to walk in that, and they don't even want to come out in the snow. But now winter's really no problem, it's the summer that's a problem. And Mason, one thing they do, and I'm sure we've seen a picture here, I've just been trying to focus on thinking and looking at Gwen um, in her webcam, but um, they roost at night. They will not sleep on the cold floor, even in, in hay, they will get up on something and they will cuddle together, as mm -hmm. Gwen says. And I've been out with ours at 40 below, 40 below zero Fahrenheit, and Honestly, we have, we've, we've actually added some heaters at times worrying and they just get together and they just bring their feathers around each other even. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's a, 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 you know, it's a flock mentality. And as Gwen said, these are very intelligent animals. So mm -hmm. they figure it out, but they sleep off the ground and, and therefore that's a big thing to keep that, that heat away. It also helps them in summer but the opposite way, because we're the, we're like you, we don't get humidity, but we get dry heat, and they have the, the more movement of air in the summer is something that they really like because it's easy. Um, how about molting when they molt? 
um, how often does it occur where you're at, Gwen, and tell people just because some people see molting chickens if they, they think they're sick or something, but that's yes, just- Or um, we had one person that did complain about their neighbor's chicken mainly because she thought that a hawk had gotten it and she didn't want her grandchildren seeing hawks kill chickens and all it was was the feathers from molting. It wasn't right. really a complaint. Um, yeah, normally the fall, early fall, late summer, after they're a year old and they can either have a slow molt so um, they don't lose quite as many feathers in it but it takes longer or they can have a short horrific one and one of my chickens does that and I swear she loses at least half of her feathers all the time but it's quick and they come back quick. Um, the problem is they can't make feathers and eggs so a lot of times they, the egg supply will start to significantly go down when they're molting, which is early in the fall, but also the daylight hours are shorter. And I don't personally believe in putting lights in the coop because I feel like that's nature's way of giving their bodies a break. So, um, you know, we actually, this is the first year I had to buy eggs in the winter. I bought three dozen eggs. I probably really didn't need the last dozen because I had hardly started it when I started to see an egg here or there. This is a picture at the bottom. We, um, we participated in the town pride parade the last couple of years, which has been a real kick. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the fact that mine are almost all four years old, they're like women, they slow down, they don't stop right away. And add that in with the shorter daylight and the molting, um, you, as they get older, um, you might not, like most people, get any eggs. And I think that that freaks people out, too, because they think they're going to have a steady supply all year round, and you don't. But what I do do is I'll start stockpile, and I just didn't start early enough this year. And I have a refrigerator downstairs that we don't really go into, and they're not washed. I don't wash my eggs and um, until I'm ready to eat them. And um, therefore they keep the bloom or the cuticle, which is the um, transparent coating that um, is on there right when the chicken has the egg, it dries in like 30 seconds. Um, and they'll um, dehydrate before they go bad. So I was eating November eggs in January, um, totally fine, never had a problem. I just didn't save enough. So this year I'll start saving a little earlier. Yeah, Gwen, we have we have eggs that that if they're clean, we just leave them right on a shelf. We don't even refrigerate them for right. Eggs. I don't either. I don't either. And they're the best tasting eggs. I mean, everybody that ever gets our eggs will say, I've never had anything like this. These are these are just amazing in, in how they taste. And so um, yeah, so that people that's a misconception. I mean, and that, that everybody thinks, oh, they, they've got it and they got to get so dirty. No, actually, if they're laid in some kind of straw or hay, they stay really clean. Do you mm -hmm. have any problem with birds eating their eggs sometimes? And if so, no. how have you found to deal with that? Yeah, no, I've actually never had a problem with that. I know people that have. And I mean, the one thing, it, it's certainly, um, it's fine to give them eggs back. It's maybe a little extra protein might help with um, malting but at least make them scrambled eggs because they don't connect that scrambled eggs for their eggs, but they should never be given any raw eggs for that reason. And if you collect them often enough and you have a, a big enough egg box that they're not gonna fall, because that, that has happened once or twice where one must have kicked the egg and it fell down often into the coop. But you know, I'm out there a couple times a day and I've never seen any of mine eat eggs, so. 
Um, here's a uh, several comments. Alicia's amazing. She always gives comments, so everybody should know. Please look at the questions after the webinar and see the questions, see the the references that she's given. Um, what about um, your own experience with their life their lifespans? And have you seen various varieties that live longer than others, and so on? And and that's another one. Is that how do you recommend that people choose and where they get their their chickens from when they first get started? Well, um, one of the interesting things, even though I have therapy hens, I don't, have never done them from chicks. I babysat chicks for a friend when they were less than a week old because she had to go lecture. And then they came back when they were about six weeks old for a couple of days. So I feel comfortable teaching about it in my class, but I've never raised them. So one, to me, chicks don't mean that then they're going to turn out to be wonderful therapy hens because none of mine I got when they were chicks. The youngest I ever got were 14, 15 weeks old, and I got one pair of chickens that way. Um, I, the biggest issue is that the red sex link ones, and you've seen a lot of pictures of Rosie. I actually have had four over the course of time um, that were red sex links chickens, and um, they are so wonderful. They're great. For kids, they're loving, they're, they um, they bait wonderful therapy hens, but also the big breeders realize that um, they are wonderful egg layers, extra large brown eggs, almost all, all, every day, all year round, even if they're more than a year old. So they started um, really overbreeding them, and now a lot of the red sex links wind up with eggshell peritonitis. So the egg actually backs up and then breaks up and then they get infected. So um, my very, uh, out of my first four, because we were allowed four the first year till we all made sure everybody liked what they were doing. Two of them were red sex linked and one of them was Rosie. That was my first therapy hen. But the other one um, really didn't seem to, she just started acting not well and it didn't take very long and she died. And I actually had a necropsy done because I was concerned Rosie was going to nursing homes and did she have something that I had to worry about? And I had a really nice long talk with one of our state vets because you take the, the body up to, the, to around Trenton for us and they do an, a necropsy there. And she explained the whole thing about the, um, the red sex linked and, and about the peritonitis and said, no, it's not something that's contagious, but it's so common in that breed. So then sure enough, I don't think it was more than eight or nine months later, Rosie died too, because they were about the same age and they must have come from a, the same breeder. We, I had gotten them from somebody that had a little mini farm. And um, so she didn't raise them from chicks. She kind of got them in and then sold them. So that was two. And I guess that they were probably two and a half, three-ish. I had one that somebody found wandering around another town and nobody seemed to claim it. And I had room, so I had Blossom. So we don't exactly know how old she was, but I kind of guess around the same. And then I actually bought one as with another chicken and she died by the time she was one. So, I mean, I think they're great, but I mean, it's, it's such a different thing. We're so used to dogs and cats showing us when they're sick or when they don't feel well, and we take them to the vet and we get medicine and then they get better. Chickens are prey, so they have to hide their illnesses till the very last minute. 
So half the time they seem totally fine and two hours later you go out and they're dead because they're hiding their illness. They know if the hawk that's flying around is looking for the one that's sick because they don't have to work at it to get them. So they hide it. That's why you isolate new chickens because it takes them about two weeks to realize that you're their hen mama and their hen papa and you're not gonna hurt them and then their illnesses will show and that's what happened with Lizzie. Um, I, you know, she got sick about 16 days after I had her, we got antibiotics because, but you know, when you have more chickens, when you work, you're not out there 24 seven. So you have to really be aware. And I think, you know, it, it's just, unfortunately, the fact of life with dealing with, with prey instead of predators and dogs and cats are predators. So there, it's a whole different deal. And I think in, in some cases, it can be a really good lesson for kids about the whole life and death thing, um, but it also is very traumatic. I mean, it's it's the same to me as if a dog of mine died. You know, you get I get close relationships whether they're whether they're therapy hens or not. I get close relationships with my hens, and it was heartbreaking every single time. But it was very interesting with Rosie. Rosie, they actually did a front page story on when I first got her, and I had no idea they were doing this. I was going to my very first assisted living visit. Um, somebody's family member had suggested we go and it was the first time we got to do that and they loved her and, and they here I walk into the place and um, the receptionist said oh you're here with the chicken the courier post which is all South Jersey a pretty good sized paper they're coming any minute now it's like I didn't even know they were coming so they did this great story on Rosie and first therapy hen and we were on action news because they came to do, watch a thing we did and then when Rosie died, the Courier Post did her obituary on the first page. They put a lot of the same pictures. The title was Haddon Township Loses Its Beloved Therapy Chicken on the front page. That's how much of an impact that this little hen had being the first of any like that around here that um, it was just amazing. But it was also heartbreaking, you know. We had a little ceremony, and um, there's a small um, little farmette in Camden that um, they run to educate the the local people and the local kids and whatnot. And we used to go up there and and take the therapy chickens a lot. And um, so we actually had a, a ceremony and scattered Rosie's ashes up at the little farm where she spent a lot of time educating kids. But yeah, it never gets easy. All right. Well, that's a good segue. The little the bit about the news, not the fact about chickens dying or anything dying. But we have a section, a little segment, I think three and a half minutes that CBS came in and did of Gwen and her Camden County chickens and all the things she does. And we are also right near the top of the hour. So what I'm gonna ask the audience to do is watch this video. If you have any other questions, either raise your hand or put them online. And Alicia continues to put in some great uh, references for us. But let's play this and then we'll come back. We'll let Gwen say goodbye to us, give us any last thoughts that she has, and we'll then call it a wrap. So Reeb, if you wouldn't mind, would you please play the video? Gwen, while he does that, we're not going to be able to talk. So we'll just okay. let them.
Grocery prices, and particularly the cost of eggs, remain high across the U.S. As a result, interest in backyard chicken keeping is also rising across the country. National farm and animal retail chain Tractor Supply has seen sales of chicks more than double in the past five years. And they expect to sell 11 million chicks this year alone. But does getting eggs from backyard chickens actually save you any money? Kate Santigen has more. There it is. 74-year-old Gwen Bailey has been raising chickens in the backyard of her suburban New Jersey home for seven years. It kind of dawned on me that I didn't really need a farm. Bailey's earned the nickname Chicken Lady of South Jersey for her advocacy and her education work around backyard keeping. She currently has eight egg-laying hens. Sandy is my alpha hen and also my oldest. Interest in the practice increased during the pandemic and again as the price of eggs has spiked in recent months. More than 58 million chickens have died of avian flu out of an estimated 300 million birds nationwide, the USDA reports. The worst outbreak in U.S. history has pushed egg prices 55% higher than the same time last year, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. I went into it for the same reason a lot of people do. You know, I wanted eggs from hens where I knew that they had better lives than the ones on these commercial farms did. Um, but I really didn't expect to completely become obsessed with them. Tova Danovich is the author of Under the Henfluence, part memoir and part animal welfare reporting on the egg and chicken industries. She says people shouldn't expect to save money getting their eggs from backyard hens, but they should expect to get attached. People are thinking that maybe it's easier to have chickens in your backyard than to rely on the grocery store. I think what a lot of them are going to learn is that having your own chickens is much more expensive than that $10 a dozen even uh, eggs that you get at the store, but they are really lovely. Estimates vary, but getting started can cost between $500 and $1,500. Expenses include a secure coop where chickens lay eggs and sleep, a predator-proof run, feeder and food, and chickens. The number of eggs laid per week varies by breed, and backyard hens typically don't lay during winter months. I think the best day we've had is about six eggs out of eight. The biggest obstacle to backyard chicken keeping isn't always cost. Local laws vary and some prohibit it entirely. The most common complaints that people have is smell and noise, and neither of them really are valid. None of the suburban towns allow roosters because they're too loud. It's big misconception that you have to have a rooster in order to have eggs. Bailey worked for five years with Haddon Township, where she lives, to change their law in 2018. She's since helped 28 New Jersey communities change legislation to allow backyard hens through grassroots organizing and presenting at council meetings. When I first found out about the law, it just said absolutely no barnyard animals uh, were allowed, any kind. Four hens are not going to smell like a huge chicken farm with millions of chickens that you can smell from miles away. We don't want to smell it either. She also runs classes to teach others the best practices and takes her therapy hens to visit children and the elderly. And more than anything, she loves them. They're funny, they're smart, the stuff that they come up with. We'll sit out there on a nice day and just watch them. Kate Santitian, CBS News. 
This Money Watch segment has been brought to you by Empower. Take control of your financial future and empower what's next. All right. Well, that was a lot. And that was a very good little summary of what Gwen had been telling us. That that uh, that um, reporter said Bailey, and I think I avoid doing it during the whole time. So Gwen, Gwen Bale. And yes, Gwen, that was the is, only problem. They didn't pronounce my name right. <laughs> well, I was very well done. Um, Gwen, this has been awesome. I, you and I will talk again very soon. We've, we've actually um, said that we'd love to, to partner with Gwen on doing some of this education she's doing. And she didn't get a chance to talk too much. She, she was at a city council last night or township council and, and helped them and had been working with them. They, they're another one that's now approved. She's up to 29 now. Um, and she, she should be getting this message across all over the country and the world. At least we believe that. And if we can help her here at the Institute of Economics and the EAT team, we're going to do that. So we'll just try to reach out to her and let her tell us what we she'd like us to do, and we'll do it. So anybody that you uh, that anything you'd like to just have as parting words for us, Gwen? Well, if I had my way, everybody in the world would be allowed to have chickens, whether they want to or not. That's fine. Nobody should be forced to do anything. But if you don't have them, you're missing out on an awful lot, an awful lot of love, an awful lot of just amazement at nature. And that little bit that we can all do to be helping our environment. So it's, it's just wonderful. I wish I had been doing this for 74 years and not just the, the last eight years of it so and thank you so much for having me and i'd love awesome. to be able to get together and do some more things for you well we, we'd love that too areeb you're the one who put a lot of work into this and, and lisa do either one of you got anything you'd like to say live here lisa one uh, was the one who introduced and we had a really good test session so i really enjoyed the whole session i never knew much about chickens as though my wife loves it. <laughs> I'm not a big fan, but my wife loves them. So I think, yeah, it was a good learning moment for me. Thank you so much for that, Gwen. You're welcome. Yeah, I just, this is Lisa and Gwen, I want to say that I really appreciate your passion, that you're everything you're doing to advocate for people who want to have them. And uh, I'm glad that you had a good time today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Gwen, kisses to you and to your chickens. And thank you so much. And Mark, why don't you take us out? I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future. And we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.